Good morning. Great service so far. I love the worship. I love how um, the worship just seems to follow what's going to be happening in the preach. Uh, yeah, I'd love to say that we're so organized that we get together and, and just kind of share this in advance, but it's not the case. I, I, it is God, and God shows us the way, kind of, even despite our offerings to him. So that's just really offering, uh, really awesome. Um, Dave Maddock from the Northside gave a couple of, gave a word a couple of Sundays ago about being a people who are holy obsessives. In other words, people that obsessively pursue holiness. Jonathan Lampard, my lovely husband, um, talked in his preach about imitating Jesus. And Richard G. Green, on various occasions, has been talking about um, getting rid of doubtful habits. And he's used that expression, not even a hint. The Holy Spirit is doing something at all nations. And I, I've only been a Christian myself for 12 years, so I have no experience whatsoever of revival. In fact, I'm still trying to get um, used to and understand what we mean when we talk about revival in church. But what I do know is that there is something different. That the Holy Spirit is doing something. And I know that deep in my spirit, that he is doing something to change me and everyone around us. Um, part of this, and maybe even the very core of it, is the pursuit of holiness. It seems to be coming up again and again. And when that happens, I kind of think God's trying to talk to us. Psalm 139 says, Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there are any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We sang that song today, didn't we, about um, all that I am, all that's within let it be Jesus. And, and that's where we're tending towards as Christians. We want to be changed from the inside to become more and more like Jesus. And we're going to look in a moment about what the pursuit of holiness looks like through the passages in Ephesians that talks about slaves and masters. But before we get into that, I'd, I'd like to pray. I just feel a real conviction before the Lord just to humble myself afresh. The danger is when you're sharing something that's on your heart, it becomes about me. It becomes about my ability or my passion for what I'm talking about or even my anointing. And I, I genuinely don't want that to be the case. And the danger is when you're listening to someone preach, it becomes about you. It becomes about your choices, your preferences, your opinion about people's style about their personality as they come to preach, or even their gender. And, and we don't want that to be the case either. We want it to be about God and what he wants to do in us. So if you just close your eyes and join me in prayer. Father, we so want to honor you, to give you the glory. Father, we are so conscious of your holiness and our sinfulness. And we desire... I desire to die to self and be open to you, Lord, to be open to your voice, your guiding, and your word. Let us just purify ourselves from everything that contaminates 
body and spirit, perfecting holiness and reverence for God. Father, we just want to purify our hearts. In your mighty name, amen. I'm going to share this morning from the, verse, the, the verses in Ephesians 6, verses 5 to 9. And there it is in your screens. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes are on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you, whatever good they do, whether slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and there's no favoritism in them. First of all, I just want to clear up that the practice of slavery is abhorrent under any circumstances. It's the result of a sin-sick world and not part of God's plan when he made man and woman in his image. The Bible does not support slavery. In Galatians 3.28, it tells us there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you're all one in Jesus Christ. When Paul addresses the Ephesians about how to conduct themselves as slaves and masters, he's in no way condoning slavery. He's instructing people in how to live as children of God in the circumstances that they find themselves in. And if you look at where Paul inquires of the Corinthians, it says, were you a slave when you were called? Don't let that trouble you, although if you, gain, if you can gain your freedom, do so. He makes it clear what his heart is on slavery. The word slave has changed a lot in our understandings from Paul's times. For us, it brings to mind transatlantic slave trade and human trafficking. And that's very different from the understanding of slaves and bond servants, which made up about two thirds of the Roman Empire. And it just wouldn't have crossed Paul's mind to pr protest against a system that was a dominant part of his world, however bad or unjust it was. But Paul was concerned about changing hearts, about changing people from the inside. He worked within the law to teach people, instruct Christians, and how to bring light. Paul is a great teacher. I'm, I'm an ex-head teacher, and um, if I was assessing him, I'd probably give him the grading of outstanding. He takes time to remind the Ephesians about what they already know. He, he revisits prior learning. Within the range of the people that he would be addressing, you just know there'll be those people, I mean, if anybody that's teachers out there will know what their classes are like, there'll be those people that have got their hands in the air going, me, 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 I, I know this bit, as Paul reminds them about who they are in Christ. There'll be other people that are like, 
oh yeah, yeah, so we are. We are sons and daughters. We are heirs. And then there'll be those people that were just asleep. But the Ephesians were not living in the good of who they were in Christ. They were still living as orphans and not as heirs. And Paul knew that it was important to reinforce who they were as children of God to encourage and strengthen them. And the next bit of Ephesians is instructional. Paul is instructing the Ephesians on how to lead a spiritual life rooted in the spiritual wealth that they were bestowed upon them when they became sons and daughters of God. Ephesians is instructing us in how we conduct ourselves as Christians towards those in authority that we come under and those who come under our authority. And for most of us, this should bring to mind the workplace or if you're still in school, school or university, but it equally applies to church. It equally applies to who you're serving under in church and who serve under you. Paul tells us to be obedient to our masters, to those in authority. And he then goes on to stipulate how we should do this. He tells us to do it with fear and trembling. Now, this is not meant to imply that we live in dread of those in authority over us, like in this picture. He's a kind of scary guy. But that we should treat authority with respect, the respect bestowed upon those that are appointed to leadership by God, which may look something like this. Paul tells us to submit with a sincere heart, to genuinely work hard and do our best, not just when you're seen, not just to gain favor with those in authority. There's a real heart thing here with Paul. Paul is directing us to serve people with good hearts. And this can be a challenge because the people that you're serving might not be all that nice. They might be difficult or they might display character traits that are less than sincere themselves. When I was working as a head teacher, I would often get children sent to me um, if, where they've had problems in the classroom or on the playground. Uh, there'd often be squabbles between um, a couple of children or groups of children. And as they came into my classroom, into my office, I would ask them one by one, what is it you did wrong? What did you do wrong? And you, know, you pretty much could guarantee that they point, well, he did, or she did. And I was no, stop. My question was, what did you do wrong? Because we often use our other people's behavior to justify our own. And we might do this with authority as well. We might do this with people that we work under or those that work for us. We might think it's okay to be bitter, to be grumbling or to undermine our boss because we can justify it in our heads. Well, you know, they don't do their job well or we don't agree with their decisions that they make. But there's, I've got a surprise for you now. Nothing in the Bible suggests that how we behave before Christ is dependent on the behavior of others. When we stand before the throne of Christ to be accountable for our behavior, 
I genuinely don't think it's going to wash if we go, well, he did or she did. Yeah, I think, yeah, God's not going to take that. Take responsibility for your heart. Paul sets a very high standard in how we should do this. We're called to serve those in authority as if we're serving Christ. Notice it doesn't say, serve this way if you like your boss. Serve this way if your boss does his job well. Serve this way if you're in a job that you consider worthwhile or fulfilling or enjoyable. I emphasize again, nothing, nothing we're called to do as Christians depends on the behavior of others, the favor of others, the acceptance of others. It's between you and God. And actually, that's quite releasing, isn't it? There's a poem that's attributed to Mother Teresa called Anyway. And I'm just going to share a short extract from that. Excuse me. It says, if you're honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend creating, others could destroy. Create anyway. Give the best that you have and it will never be enough, but give your best anyway. In the final analysis of between you and God, it's never been about between you and them anyway. Because Mother Teresa understood that when we work, we are working for God. We're working for his glory. And the next line in, in Ephesians reinforces this because it says, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they're slave or free. So just to recap, it says, so we're to be obedient, reverent to those who are under authority, with a good heart, as if serving Christ. Remembering that we'll receive the reward regardless of whether we're slave or free. Employee or employer. Let's not fall into the trap of thinking that we serve to get a reward. We're called to have an eternal perspective. But always remember, God examines our heart. He's looking at why we're doing it. The final thing about that Paul says on the matter of masters and slaves is, masters, treat your slaves the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and there is no favoritism within them, with him. Whether in the workplace or serving in church, when we have people under our authority, how we treat those people matters to God. Remember back to verse 21 in chapter 5? It talks about submitting to one another, about mutual submission. And Jesus, the master and teacher, demonstrates this when he gets down to wash the disciples' feet in John 13. He then goes on to say, I set an example that you should do as I have done for you. And, that, and that's how we should be with other people. Paul also, also reinforces the mutual submission when he says, masters, do the same for them. Therefore, if you're a person in a position of authority, you must exercise that authority with integrity, giving all your heart and all your effort to work. We should exercise the authority that's been given to us in a way that is pleasing to God because we know that God is watching how we use the authority he's, been, he's given you. 
And we either honour God or we dishonour God in how we treat other people. Having authority over people doesn't give us a licence to undermine, be abusive, belittle, or to treat people with disrespect. We should instead use that authority to encourage, to empower, to release, to build up and support those that work for us. It's such a rewarding feeling, isn't it, when the person that you've worked hard to develop um, is released into their gifting and, and even goes further than you've gone yourself. Remember, in God's economy, we all share the same master and we all serve under his authority and we're all made equal regardless of who we are or what we do for a living. And Paul sets out these instructions and how we should act in the workplace and how we should respond to authority to treat those under us as sons and daughters of God so that we might honour him. There's no difference to God between serving McDonald's or working in a hospital, a school or business because God is interested in the sincerity of my heart. My efforts either honour God and give testimony to those around us, or they don't. It's as simple as that. Every job is an opportunity to honour him or dishonour him. And it's not what we choose to do that honours God. It's how we choose to do it. If God is my master and I am his bondservant, then I should work hard for the glory of God. I'm just going to show you a, a, a video clip that I feel kind of demonstrates this. <laughs> I'd love to think this guy's a Christian. <laughs> These people could have ordered, got their meal and left with little exchange. But this guy goes that extra mile to make their experience memorable. Uh, there's a, a lady called Maya Angelou who was an activist for equality, an author, a teacher and a Christian. And she wrote, people don't always remember much of what, what you said which is a bit of a concern for me now, or much of what you did, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. We're called to act in a way in the workplace that reflects Jesus. Jonathan talked about that same light that's in Jesus as being the light that's within us. And guys, we take that light everywhere. We're not called to switch it on for church and for serving and then switch it off when we go out into the world. Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds, deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let them see the good work in you and be drawn to it. Let them see that there's something different about you, a sense of peace, a sense of encouragement. Jesus wants our lights to shine at work. Work should become a worship opportunity in the moment that we're there. When I took up the job as acting head at a local school, um, they were in the habit of photocopying literature rather than buy copies for each child. And photocopy laws mean that you can only legitimately copy 10% of it. Class teachers would often copy whole books prior to tests so that they can, they can practice with the children. And I stopped this as a head a fairly new head teacher, a fairly new acting head teacher, and it was not a popular decision. I had to hide in my office for quite a while. And it affected the budget of different departments as well. 
However, several months later, when I was transitioning the school or supporting transitioning the school um, through academy um, status, um, people were reassured that I would do this with integrity because they knew how I'd handled the situation with the photocopying, even although it was a difficult and unpopular decision. You see, people notice. Every time you knock off a bit early, put on a show to impress your boss, undermine or badmouth those in leadership, cut corners or abuse resources, people notice. And they make a judgment about what it means to be a follower of Christ. I mean, they see that. And remember, what we're going for is not even a hint. We're called as Christians to point to Jesus. Our attitudes as believers tell a lost world about us and provides an opportunity to see sincerity in us. And for most of you, your workplace, your school, your university is your mission field. What do people see when they look at you? What can they tell about you as a Christian? There's that story in Matthew 18 of the unmerciful servant. This man is forgiven a massive debt of about 10,000 bags of gold. Basically, more than he could ever have earned in a lifetime. And the man knew what he deserved. His debt was great. He owed so much, but the mercy and grace of his master was greater. But when a person under him couldn't pay back a much lesser debt of just a hundred silver coins, he had them thrown into prison. But the verse that grabbed me from this story was when the other servants saw him. I just find that so moving. They saw him, they watched him, and they knew what grace that he had been given. They knew the grace that he had received, and they watched him. They watched to see if the man that received such grace, that received such mercy, that received such forgiveness and such love, they watched to see how he reacted. And if Christians and schools, universities and work, people see what we do and they make a judgment about what they see and what it means to be followers of Christ. Not even a hint. Our hearts, our desires to be to pursue holiness and purity. Our job is to point to Jesus in every interaction, every reaction, and how we do our job, how we respond to our boss, and how we treat other people. Because people watch, people notice. What are people seeing in you? And it has to be said that words like submission and obedience are difficult words. And it's a concept that I often find really hard myself. I spent years as a single parent, relying on my own understanding. And it was only when I submitted my life to Jesus that I enjoyed the joyful release that submission brings. The three person of the Trinity voluntarily submit to each other, respecting the roles that they perform in the creation and salvation. And so too, we are called to submit to each other, respecting the roles that we're called to do. 
When I first started here at All Nations, I'd come from a place where I was the person in charge. I was a head teacher. I was used to getting my way with things. I was used to telling people that, you know, this is what we want, and then we'd go for it. And I came here, and I was under the authority of Richard. And I have to admit, I found this a challenge at times. Nothing, well, yeah, something to do with him. (laughs) Um, I I was used to being the person in overall authority. I was used to um, getting things done. I was used to sort of Think, getting excited about, I want to do this, and just going for it. And I must admit, I found the pace, in church, pace of work in church a bit of struggling, a bit of a struggle. I found myself moaning to other senior leaders. And it was when I was having a conversation with Tim Gannon, who um, was the previous site leader here, that I was convicted of my sinfulness and pride. He literally said to me, you have two choices. You either submit to his authority with the right heart, and that's the important bit, isn't it? It's the with, with the right heart, or leave. Tim didn't mince his words. <laughs> but it is a toxic thing to be in a place where you sow seeds of disaffection, or a place where you don't want to be. And I voluntarily chose to come under Richard's authority. And for his part, he's been great at releasing me to do things that I feel led to do. And because I voluntarily came under his authority, when I do get frustrated or you know, just hacked off about stuff, he's, he's happy to listen and take them on board because he knows my heart is to serve. But what if it wasn't the case? What if the Richard that was sitting here today was belligerent? What if he was difficult to work with? What if he was demanding? Should I still submit to his authority? Hands up if you think yes. Oh, it's mixed, Rich, it's mixed. (laughs) We know the answer is yes, don't we? Yes, because the Bible tells us it at all. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. God establishes authority. All authority has been established by him. He works things for his good, for his plans, for his purposes. And we serve God, not man. So our desire should be to honour God through all that we do, to reflect Jesus and point people to him. Christianity doesn't show us a way around our challenges, as it shows us a way through our challenges. And that includes the challenges that we face being missional in our, in our workplace. This isn't to say that we shouldn't challenge bullying, behavior, abuse of power, or unreasonable behavior. If you're concerned about something like that, then you should speak to somebody about it, speak to a leader, or speak to someone in your growth group. But our question should always be, how can I do this in a way that honors God? And sometimes that means putting away our own desire to be right, our own desire to be heard, our own opinions listened to for the glory of God in the situation. I remember when I was working as an acting head in a local Catholic school, the diocese and particularly the bishop of the diocese were totally against me holding the position. Because I'd grown up as a Catholic, 
And in their eyes, I'd rejected the teaching of the Catholic Church to be one of those Christians. To be fair, I believed that myself before I became one. <laughs> they told me I was guilty of schism and heresy, and I was referred to as that woman. Always a great title. There were meetings held with governors over whether I should be allowed to continue as acting head. Now, thankfully, the governors were on my side with it. But everything inside of me wanted to hit back. I wanted to hit out the, the injustice of it all. I was doing a, what I considered to be a very good job of running his school, keeping up the standards in his school that was deemed outstanding, transitioning the school to primary, dealing with some pretty challenging parents. Just checking there's none of you here. And, and all the while, he was trying to convince people that I shouldn't be there. And to make matters worse, whenever we were in meetings together, he wouldn't make eye contact or even speak to me directly. It was genuinely just not right how I was being treated. I would have been justified in kicking up a fuss, giving him a piece of my mind, or even putting in a formal complaint. However, people watch, people notice, and particularly interactions between Christians. Fortunately, at the time, I had an amazing growth group, and I would go to them and literally cry about it, share my frustrations, and they prayed for me. Because I had the opportunity to either honour God in that situation or dishonour him. With the grace of God, we all get to go on a journey with this. We'll sometimes get it wrong, and that's okay, because God's grace is bigger than our sin. As I was writing this preach, I felt really convicted about a conversation that I'd had. I'd been some weeks before, and it hadn't gone particularly well. I felt that this person was unreasonable and unfair in what they were saying. So I reacted defensively, indignantly, and I didn't bring honour to God in the situation. I put my desire to be right, to have my opinion heard, above my desire to reflect Jesus. And fortunately, God showed me my heart about it, revealed the offensive way in me, and I was able to go to that person and ask for forgiveness and restore our relationship. The start of Ephesians tells us that we are dead in sin and made alive in Christ when we accepted him into our lives. We're saved by grace through faith so that we might do good works which God prepared for us in advance. The works that we do when we're in our mission field, in our classrooms, in our schools, in our workplace. You get to be Jesus to those that need him. Not in your strength, but in the strength of the Holy Spirit living in you. Ephesians speaks of one new family released into the good of who we are in Christ. And we started off the beginning of this with that um, verse from Psalm 139. And I think that's where we're going to land now. It says, Psalm, it says, search me, God, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. Is that not even a hint thing? It's the get rid of it all, God. Like this, the words of the songs that you want Jesus to be in you and working through you. So I think it would be good to do that now.
we have the opportunity to respond and just come afresh to God and ask him to search our hearts. Ask him to find any offensive way in us. And we're going to do that before I invite Richard to lead us in communion. Do you want to stand? I just want... Is there anyone in authority that you struggle with? Just close your eyes and just, you might have to seek God in this. I, I didn't know about the person I offended or didn't think about it until God revealed it in me. Is there someone in whose authority you struggle to come under? Who you find difficult and perhaps you're not honoring God in how you interact with them? Or do you want the Holy Spirit just to come and help you to get better at just reflecting Jesus in the workplace. Maybe you just want God to come and search you. We want to be a people marked by holiness, a people where there's not even a hint, not even a blemish. Come and ask the Holy Spirit to do that in you now.